We finish up our series in Philippians today, and uh, what we've been doing over the course of our time together is to talk about generosity. Our series has been called The Giving Life, and we've particularly looked at how God gives us stuff. That's sort of what Disciples' story is about. God gives us some gifts and some abilities, some talents, some insight. And then we get to turn around and give those gifts to other people, but also to this body of Christ called the church. And so the, the, the letter has four main themes that we've talked about, and one of them is that of generosity. He is thanking this church for their generosity to him and also to uh, other struggling churches. Second theme, he's talking about uh, how grateful that he was that God gave him the gift of, stay with me, incarceration. He's in jail when he writes the letter, and he says to the, uh, the, the, the people, that the church at Philippi, I'm grateful to be in jail. I've got this guard that's chained to me. He has to listen to me on his eight-hour shift, and the gospel is better for me having been in jail. It's a horrible circumstance, and, and we find out in Acts 28 that he's not really in jail jail. He's in sort of a house arrest kind of jail. And if you want to know the, the story that goes behind that, it's in the last several chapters in the book of Acts. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second. The third theme that he was kind of chasing, generosity, thank you for the gifts that you've given me, grateful that I've been able to be in jail, grateful, thankful the, of the unity that is in the church. He, he was saying to a uh, uh, church at Philippi, he was saying, I am grateful for the unity, and you guys have to fight for it a little bit. There's a couple of ladies that got a problem, and, and you guys are solving it. You're out there. I am grateful for the unity. And he spent all of the first part of chapter 2 saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ, then just dump it on each other. And so his, his third theme was that he was grateful for unity. His fourth theme in the book was that he's grateful for the purity of the gospel as a gift. Now, stay with me, because in this particular thing, he phrases that in the form of a, an accusation. He says, there are some people among you that are trying to put a price on God's grace. They're trying to say, you've got to become a Jewish person to become a Christian person. You've got to be circumcised in order to be saved. You've got to do this in order to do that. And it's like either he's forgotten or the Apostle John hasn't written yet that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Paul did write to the Ephesians, you are saved by grace through faith. And even that faith is not your own. It's a gift of God, a free gift of God. And so Paul had these four themes, grateful for the support you've given me, grateful that I've been able to be in jail, grateful that we have unity among each other, and grateful that we can keep a laser focus on what it is that God really wants of us as we come alongside in order to receive that incredible gift of eternal life. So that's kind of the, the, the story as it's been set. And so what we've done is to observe this generosity we observe the generosity and the sacrifice. 
And those two words go close together. We've, we've talked about that some, that, that our generosity may seem like a sacrifice to others, but to us it seems like an opportunity to give back that which God has given to us. It's a, it's a habit. And so today I want to kind of close the thing out, but remind you of where he started with this thing. He said in, John, in uh, chapter 1 to the Philippians, he said, you are walking worthy of the gospel. And the way we translate it, it said, you're a citizen of the gospel. You are uh, a, a citizen of the gospel. You, you have uh, been given a citizenship here. And just like you are the citizen of a state or a country or something like that, you, you have privileges that are given to you as a citizen, and you've got some responsibilities. You, you get stuff, you give stuff. That's, that's kind of what the, the book is about. God has given us some stuff, we give some stuff. Let me read the whole uh, story that I'm going to be dealing with today, and I'm going to read it all. It's just 10 verses, but I want to read it because uh, I'm going to hop all over the place when we're talking about it, and I want you to have the sequence just the first time. So Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 10 and just read through verse 20. And so either turn to your Bible or your swipey thing or just pay real close attention. He says, uh, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. He says that a lot. The, the, the book is a lot about joy. He says, and I'm going to add a, an editorial tone of voice here. Okay, you ready? I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. What? He says, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want. I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, I set out from Macedonia, and not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me more aid more than once than what I needed. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full joint payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, let me give you a little backstory here. If you remember that one of the things that Paul is grateful for is that he has taken up an offering, a love offering, because the church in Jerusalem was really struggling. And so he collected that offering and he delivered it to Jerusalem. And while he was there, the Jewish leaders said, oh, Paul showed up. Let's arrest him. It's kind of the way it worked with him. And so he really didn't want to be arrested just then and there. And so he was sent to a coastal town a couple of hours away from Jerusalem called Caesarea. 
And there he sort of uh, exchanged stories with the Roman leaders there, Festus and Felix, and, and about two years' worth of that. And then they got tired of him, and they said, let's send him back to Jerusalem for trial. Paul said, that's a no-go for me. I know what happens to people in Jerusalem. Jesus, not so good. And so I'm going to appeal to Caesar. That is my right as a Roman citizen. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. I'm going to go to Rome and be tried. And so another length of time, he's, he's on the boat going to Rome. Finally, he gets there. And according to the last verse in the book of Acts, it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. Now, here's the problem with being under house arrest and not in real jail. Under house arrest, they don't feed you. Matter of fact, they make you pay rent. You got to find a place for them to guard you. And so he's in a house in Rome, and he has a guard there with him all the time, and he's got to have food. And when the Philippian church found out that he needed that kind of support, they sent a large gift with this guy named Epaphroditus. Probably took him four or five months to get there. But finally, it got there, and Paul can breathe just a little bit easier. He, he's, he's grateful for this gift that he received. And every now and then, the help does show up. Now, let me switch gears from Paul to you and me for a second. Sometimes we get unexpected help, don't we? We, we get a check in the mail that we'd forgotten we were due, you know, somebody, a rebate from something you bought, and you said, okay, I'll send in the rebate, and, and sure enough, they sent it. Or you get a bonus from your company, or you, you get a raise, or, or if you're a man, you wear a sport jacket that you hadn't worn in a while, and you put your hand in the pocket and find a $20 bill. Women, I don't know if you know this, but there is unlimited wealth at the bottom of your purses. And you, you find stuff that you just didn't think that was, that was coming your way, right? And maybe it's not about money. Maybe you have a car trouble on the side of the road, and a good Samaritan stops to help you. Maybe it's somebody who does what we talked about last week. They, they just come alongside of you and they, they extend some relational generosity. You, you needed a conversation with a good friend. You needed a cup of coffee. How did they know you needed it? They didn't. They just showed up and it just was better. Maybe it's somebody who, who, who you can confide something that's really painful inside and just to unload it, just to get it off your chest. Maybe it's somebody who gives you some wise advice and, and you didn't see that coming. Here's the thing. Sometimes our undeserved gifts are just that. They're undeserved. Sometimes we earned it. We got the bonus or we got the, the check or, or whatever. So sometimes it's deserved, sometimes it's undeserved. But the common truth there is that because you got that help, it made your life different. Now, if it's, a, if it's something major, if you have a third cousin twice removed that passes away and leaves you his inheritance and you didn't even know he existed, much less an inheritance, it would change your life. 
But it's more likely that it's something little. That you just didn't know it was coming, but it made a significant difference in you. Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. In this verse, he says, you know, you guys were with me. You guys stayed the course. It was good that you shared in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Even when I was in Thessalonica, which is not very far from Philippi. So Greece kind of has three big regions, Macedonia, Central Greece, Peloponnesia. And the Macedonian region is Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and some other cities where he started churches. He said, when I was just trying to crank up this ministry, you guys sent me help. And it was important. Because of you, churches got started in Ephesus and Colossia and Galatia and Berea and Thessalonica. Because of you, because you focused on you giving rather than you receiving, the gospel was spread everywhere. Significant difference. Lives were changed because of that unexpected gift. Well... I guess I got to talk about the other side of the coin, don't I? Sometimes the help doesn't come. Sometimes it doesn't come. Sometimes the, the, the help that you thought was coming doesn't. You call AAA and they promise to be there in 45 minutes, but the real time is four days and 45 minutes. You're on the side of the road, you're waiting, the help doesn't come. You, you, you got the rebate that was promised, and then you realize that rebate was a pot of money that was shared with a gazillion people, and you get a check in the mail for 46 cents. Or, or, or maybe your, your, your bonus check got eaten up with taxes, or your, your tax refund was not what you thought it was going to be. Sometimes the help doesn't come. And again, it's not always financial. Sometimes the adult child just sucks the very life out of you. And you kept waiting for something to be different. And it just isn't. Sometimes the diagnosis is not what you hoped it would be. And you keep waiting for a good report. Some doctor somewhere that's going to say something positive, And it just doesn't come. You keep waiting for the good Samaritan. And he works for AAA. <laughs> Sometimes the help doesn't come. And in the very first words that Paul said in this passage, he said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last your help arrived. Well, it's like it's something that sounds kind of weird, but then he walks it back a little bit. Okay, I'm not working here. Let me get a verse up there. There we go. He walks it back a little bit. He says, I rejoice greatly that at last you renewed your concern. Indeed, you were concerned, but you didn't have opportunity to show it. So we don't know what happened. Okay, we don't know if maybe uh, the, the gift got lost in the mail or if, if Epaphroditus got sidetracked on the way or, or maybe they, they, they thought he was doing really well. 
Maybe they just hadn't heard from him in a while and they thought some other churches had stepped up. Maybe they were experiencing financial hard times. Maybe they didn't have it to give. Maybe, maybe they had, had gone through some things and, and it, it gives all of us great pain when somebody we love says, listen, I don't even know how to ask this, but I need some help. And we go, I got nothing. I, I just can't give it. Maybe that was the, ch- the thing with the church. All we know is that there was a significant gap where Paul had to deal with the reality that the help wasn't coming. Now, I, I know that he solves it in just one verse, but that's rarely the case. And he sort of comments on it after that. He says, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm not in need. And then he says something. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I probably ought to leave that just laying there. Because that's a challenge to me. Alan, are you really content? Oh, no, 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 no. If I've got a problem, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to network. I'm going to make a deal. I'm going to gather some resources. I'm going to get this thing done. Am I okay with what Paul says? I don't have money for rent or food. And eventually those things will hurt me. And yet, I'm going to let God be God. That's easier said than done. In, in grief, could I let God be God? When we have a major thing, pastors will tell you this is hard. Because all of our people that work for us are volunteers. All of the money that we get is voluntarily given. Voluntarily given. We, we, don't, we, don't, we can't assess you. Can we? <laughs> Remind me to pick that back up. That's a thought. We, 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 every, everything is volunteer. And we pastors, we, we have this idea, this, this scheme. How's it going to be funded? How's it, is, is, is it going to be, volunteers are going to step up for this mission trip. We've got a team in Liberia right now. A group of men that, that stepped up and said that this time is not my own. I'm, I'm giving the time back. I'm giving my skills back. This particular project needed some people who were a little bit engineer and a little bit mechanic and a little bit uh, farmer and, and not just people to, 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 like me who could go door to door. They, they need people who could actually work. And they took them. These men gave their time. And they're probably landing uh, in Brussels pretty soon and then on to Monrovia. Sometimes when the help doesn't come, God has packed in there the opportunity for us to step back and go, how can I just sit on my hands and breathe? And that sets up the, one of the most misapplied verses in all of the Bible. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> Tonight's some football game, I don't know. And inevitably, after one team or the other wins, my bet is on that, by the way. I do gamble. 
And my gamble is that one or the other of those teams is going to win. Don't think they're leaving that one in a tie. But after the game, some athlete who did something incredible, maybe he had the career game, maybe he, he w- did the interception that turned the tide, or, or he you know, impossible catch that he made. And some overzealous athlete is going to say, yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But to really understand this verse, it would be the guy that dropped the pass that made him lose the game. It would be the guy that had the worst game he's ever had. It would be the losing team. And they stuck a microphone in that guy's face. And he said, I'm going to get through this because Christ gives me strength. And you ought to look at it the other way around. When you're in your lowest low. When you've been handed the worst news possible. You can say, I can do all things because Christ gives me strength. What Paul had been learning, he started learning when he first came to know who Jesus was. He didn't start learning it when he was in adverse situations. He started learning it because day by day by day, he said it really, really well in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm sorry. He says in verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now again, another misquoted verse. A lot of people think that was that he was short or that he had arthritis or that he had a wife. I'm just the messenger. That's what people have said. But what I think it is is that the church at Corinth has had a, so many setbacks that they've not been able to stay focused. And yet Paul said, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given this thorn, a messenger of Satan. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Not a lot of amens there. His power is perfected when I'm weak. When I'm at the end, when I can only trust him, then I can say, I can get through this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes the help doesn't come. And Paul's reaction to that was so opposite of what is my natural human reaction, contentment, faith, that he'll get through it because his Jesus has come alongside of him. Well, there's one more aspect of it, and it's kind of buried near the end. He's still talking about gratitude, and, and now he's uh, talking about how uh, uh, he's talking about the gifts that have been given and received. And so at the very end of this, He's talking about what I would call investment. Let me tell you a story. Learned this in business school. All of you who went to business school heard the same story. Would you rather that I gave you a million dollars today? Boy, that didn't even get your attention. What have we got? We got a leak. 
So if I go over there, I can get baptized like a Methodist? So back to my story, now that we've acknowledged that there's water dripping on the stage. Ladies and gentlemen, Ron Cameron has exercised his spiritual gift, tub placement. All right, so would you rather I give you a million dollars today? No strings attached, a million bucks, my hand to yours. Or I give you a penny today, and tomorrow I double it to two cents and give you two cents, and then I double it each day for 30 days. Would you rather that I give you the million dollars today, cash in hand, or I give you a penny today, double it tomorrow, double it the next day, double it for 30 days? Any any takers on the million today? Yeah, what's your point? Good. If you had the patience, the payout at the end of 30 days is $5.3 million. The power of investment, right? And Paul is saying here, you gave me a gift. And because of that gift, because of that support, it's doubled and doubled, and doubled, and doubled. When I planted the church at Philippi, there was Lydia, there was a jailer, there was a crazy woman. And now the church is sending this monetary support, and churches have been planted all around Asia Minor and all over Greece, and even a church in Rome. There's this investment And so he says, uh, I desire that you are seeing the gifts that you've given as an investment. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and more. I'm amply supplied now that you've given me the gift through Epaphroditus. These are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You know where the fragrant offerings were? They were on an altar. And over in Romans chapter 12, Paul said, I I beg you, brothers and sisters, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. That the fragrant offerings that the Philippians sent to Paul monetarily, they they had an, an investment, an exponential growth that took place. And he's promising us over the course of our lives, our investments will make the same because God has given to us abundantly. He says to them, God will meet all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It may be that you're hearing this today and you go, okay, I've never really thought of it that way. This incredible gift that God wants to give to me, I want to accept it. I want to know what it is to become a Christian. I want to know what it is to be baptized. Baptized. I want to know what it is to be all in to this investment opportunity of discipleship.
It could be that you need to be in a, a small group because you need the kind of strength that the Philippians drew from each other. It could be that, that you need prayer, that you need to come along somebody and, and just have them pray for you because the stuff that's, that's there, the, 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 the help that's not coming is just too hard. I don't know what your need is today. What I do know is that what we're about to do is a demonstration of the greatest gift that could ever be done. Every now and then in our church, we have what we call communion. You'll come to see one of the pairs of deacons who are making their way and, and, and getting in place. They'll have a, an unleavened wafer, a small wafer, and they'll have a small cup of juice. The unleavened wafer, that represents the body of Christ that it was broken for us. Paul said that to the Corinthians in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said, the things I received from the Lord, I now give to you that the, this bread, which is broken for you, this is the body of Christ, this juice, this cup, which is given for you. It represents a new way of thinking where no longer do we earn our way to heaven, but we embrace the free gift that was only made possible by the blood of Christ shed on the cross for us. So the deacons will be there to serve you. And what I would ask you to do is to process what we've been talking about and singing about. Process the things that have been going on. And say, when you're ready, I want to demonstrate my faith in Christ for the sacrifice that he gave with the thought that maybe I can be useful in giving away whatever it is that I have. No strings attached to this, folks. Pray for a minute. Meditate for a minute. Then approach one of the deacons, maybe in a family or a friend group. Let them speak into you that this is the body of Christ. This is the cup of the new covenant. Pray with me. Father, we are thankful. Thankful that you've given us life. Thankful that in this great gift, you have given us the, the eternal life that comes with embracing Christ as Savior. You're our Father. You're our Savior, our Redeemer, our Forgiver. You are the giver of all things, and we can do all things because you give us strength. Accept our worship as we take communion, that you would be made big, we would be made small, and we would be able to return whatever it is that you've given us in whatever way you challenge us. I pray this in Jesus' name.